Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. I'll say it again. Be steadfast. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we just want to thank you, Father, for 2020, for this first Sunday that you have given us to worship you. I pray, God, that our hearts will be right before you, O Lord. Lord, test our hearts. See our hearts, O Lord. Help us to reflect upon this week, upon our lives, upon this new year, Father. Help us not to live the same way as we were in the past, but Lord, truly, every single day, to be regenerated, to be sanctified, to be made new in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, that there will be visible change, Father, not because we're here to show off the change, but simply because it's the overflow from the relationship that we have found in you, O oh God. When we're in, 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 we in the midst and in the, in the presence of God, we can't help but to be transformed and to be renewed. Father, more of you and less of me, Father, we give all glory to you. Take honor in the service. Take glory in the in the service. Be the center of our service and our worship to you, O oh God. Lord, I pray as you transition now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. See me, see my heart, and test me, O oh Lord, so that it is right and upright before you, O oh Lord. Holy Spirit, we come before you, God, with heart of repentance. Teach us your ways that may walk in your truth. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things. In your precious Son, Jesus Christ, I pray, and God's people pray. Amen and amen. And God is good. Amen. So let's turn to our neighbor and say, God is good. <laughs> say, God is faithful, and God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay, so now, I don't know if you guys remember, I believe it was in November where we did God's Will Part 1. And I promised you guys that, and then, and then the next, the following week, we're supposed to do God's will part two. But we did the Father to the fatherless, and then I said I'm gonna begin. Um, most likely in the New Year's, we're gonna go back and do part two, finish up part two, and that's what we are going to do today. We're gonna do God's will part two. Let's turn to our neighbor and say God's will, God's will. part two. Okay, now let's begin with this. Preacher Spurgeon known as the Prince of Preachers during the Victorian era, meaning during Queen Victoria, who fought against, he fought against human trafficking, slavery, and opium trades in China. Now, in quote in his book, The Sword and the Trow, opium impoverishes China. Her poor, hardworking sons earn about six pence, which is about six pennies a day. A number of them not only spend, but must spend third of it daily in satisfying a craving they cannot get rid of. Who stood up, not just with his words, but in his action. Meaning he was a true man of God, amazing man of God during his time. Even to this day, his work, it goes and people go back to his work. They go back to reading his book. They go back to his sermons and they reference Pastor Spurgeon. And Spurgeon, he said this. He said, when your will is God's will, you will have your will. I'll say that again. When your will, Ronnie, becomes God's will, is God's will, that's when you will find your true will. 
That's when you will have your will. Meaning, outside of God's will is no will. Your will for your life, your dream for your life has nothing, has no significance if it is not centered or grounded in the midst of God. If God is not in the center of your life right now, in the decisions you're making, in the life that you're living, then it is no will. When your will is God's will, you will have your will. So the question, what is God's will for your life? What is God's will for your life? The reality is knowing God's will is pretty simple. It's not that difficult. There are no tricks. There's no magical formula, but it's found in the scripture. It's in the word. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's in the Bible. It's in the word of God. So let's begin. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17. It says this, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Meaning he's saying, do not live a foolish life. Know his will. Know God's will for your life. But understand what the Lord's will is. So a few things before we, go, before we go into the main points. To know God's will, number one, is this. You have to be a Christian. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christian. What do I mean by Christian? I mean a follower of Christ. To know God's will, to be in God's will, number one, you must be a Christian. If you're not, you cannot know God's will. That's the first, first thing. Follower of Christ. Number two, desire. You desire. You want it. You want to pursue it. You want to do His will. It says in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You truly seek and desire to seek His kingdom and His righteousness first. Do you right now have that desire to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first in your life? You must desire it. Number three, you must be patient. Patience is key. You have to be willing to wait. It's not about, when I say patient, I'm talking about it's God's timing. It's not according to your timing. Oh, I want to do this. I want to get married at this time. I want to have this job at this time. I want to finish school at this time. Sometimes, yes, we take it in our hands and we take extra credits. Yes, we can do it. But I'm talking about the main thing. We need to be patient and be willing to wait. There are things that you are, you have, you, you are not in control of and God has promised you and you have to be willing to wait. It's the waiting game. You have to be patient. And number four, the last one, upside-down kingdom. What do I mean by upside-down kingdom? The kingdom of God is not like of the world. The world says, if you're at the top, be the best. But we understand as Christians that to gain is to lose, and to lose is to gain. This is not a life of pride like the world teaches you, or that is rooted in but of meekness and humility. It's just in the life of Jesus, the things that we learn with the story of Christmas, his humility, his meekness, the life and the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get to the main points. Number one is this. Number one, the sovereign will of God. Let's understand what the sovereign will of God 
is. The sovereign will, I'm talking about God's hidden will, quote-unquote hidden will, is God's ultimate will, meaning we do not know when or how. In Psalm 115, verse 3, it says this, Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. The sovereign will of God, there's nothing you and I can do to change God. We cannot bribe God to change. God's timing in this way, in the sovereign will of God, he will do what he pleases. For example, the end times, the second coming of Jesus Christ. You could be on your knees, fast your whole life and ask Jesus, Jesus, just hold back. Don't come back yet. But he has already set the time and the date for him to come back. We have no control when it will happen, no matter what, whether we like it or not, the end time is going to come. The second coming, the second event is going to come. Your birth, you have no control over your birth. You have no control over the family that you're born in. This is the sovereign will of God, the family that you're born into. You have no control over when you die unless you take your life in the matter of your own hands and we commit suicide. We have no control over when we die and our birth, the family that we're born into, the end times. These are things that are outside of our control. This is the sovereign will of God. Isaiah 14 verse 24 says, The Lord Almighty has sworn, Surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will happen. Another sovereign will of God is, if you look at the scripture, we see the story of Joseph, God leading Joseph into Egypt through the evil of his brothers with evil intention. They were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. And we see the story in Genesis, God rescuing Joseph. And we see that in the end, overall, the overall picture, God's sovereign plan had prevailed. Was Joseph's life perfect? Nope. It was full of evil and hardship and accusations and things that happened to him in his life that is beyond words, that we don't wish that upon our enemies. But we see that God's sovereign plan had prevailed. In this case, God, quote, unquote, he permitted this evil thing to happen to Joseph. In every evil that happened in Joseph's life, we see that God came through and intervened. And when I, and I say that carefully, when I say intervene, he didn't intervene. He didn't allow Joseph and he let go. He was, Joseph was always in God's hand. So in other words, instead of using the word he intervened, God was in the center of Joseph's life. He was in the midst of everything that was happening in Joseph's life to rescue him. That's why in the end, Joseph, in his final words to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says this, you intended, he's telling his brothers, you intended to harm me, you meant evil against me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In this life, in the midst of God's will, evil things will occur in your, in your life, in our lives. Think about your life right now. Reflect back to the past, since when you were born, since when you were a child, or even recently, evil things happening in your life, or maybe you committed the evil act. Evil things will occur in this life. Why? Due to the broken world that we live in. The sun and the storm will come upon the good, the bad, 
the righteous and the evil because of the broken world that we live in. And it may seem when you are going through a hard time or when you, you've had a traumatic experience in your childhood, it may seem like that, that evil is winning, that the devil has won. But that is not true. If you're in God, if you're in a relationship with God, if you know God, God is always sovereign. You must trust him for he is sovereign. Pastor Piper, he said this, for example, quoting, if you are badly abused as a child and someone asks you, I'm going to say it again, for example, if you are badly abused as a child and someone asks you, do you think that was the will of God? You now have a way to make some biblical sense out of this and give an answer that doesn't contradict the Bible. You may say, no, it was not God's will because he commands that humans not be abusive but love each other. The abuser broke his commandments and therefore, the abuse broke his commandments and therefore moved his heart with anger and grief. In reference, Mark chapter 3, verse 5. But in another sense, yes, it was God's will, his sovereign will, because there are a hundred ways he could have stopped it. But for reasons I don't yet fully understand, God didn't. Meaning there are times in our lives when, quote, unquote, things, when I say things, I'm talking about bad things, evil things that will happen, that may have happened to us. And you will never know the answer why. The big question, why? Going back to Job chapter 1. We don't understand why God allowed Job to go through all the things that he did. Do you remember in Job 1, what does God say? Have you considered my servant Job? He is upright and he is blameless. Does he fear you for nothing? That's what the devil says. The devil says, strike him. If you take everything away from him, he will curse you and he will leave you. And then God says, okay. Do whatever you want, devil, but on him do not lay a finger. And we see the story of Job, trial after trial, all the bad things happening in his life. It's not a matter of why in trials, but placing your trust and hope in the goodness of God, in the sovereignty of God. In trials, you need to say as Christians, we need to say, Lord, you alone are sovereign and good and perfect. I don't understand it, but I will trust in you even though I cannot see the why or understand the why or have an answer for the why. Instead of asking why, it's, it's the word what. What are you trying to teach me? Meaning in trials, we must see God accurately that no matter what, no matter what we are going through, you must say to yourself, my God is good. And my God is perfect, he is patient, he is loving, and he is with me, even when it doesn't make sense. When you're going through a hard time, or you may go through a hard time in 2020 or 2021, or maybe you've been through hard times in the past, it's a given that we are going to go through hard time. And, and listen to me carefully. If you have a skewed view of God in your hardship, in your trial, in your suffering, I promise you that in trials, 
You will curse God, just like Joel's wife said to him. Curse God. Just curse God. And I promise you, we will have that same attitude if your view of God is skewed. But if you know in your heart when you go through hard times that God is good, that God is with me, that God is sovereign, and God, he is for me, and he loves me, and I will, and I will trust in him, then in trials, your faith will be polished and will become new in God. If you have a skewed view of God, then your faith will be demolished through the trials. Therefore, I pray that you will never curse God in trials, but you will rejoice. Rejoice even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't make sense to you, rejoice. Because Romans 8.28 reminds us that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'll say that again. And we know that in all things, all things, good and the bad, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Do you love him? Then know that he works for the good of your life who have been called according to his purpose. You have been called according to his purpose. Praise him and know that God is sovereign in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your trials. Job, in the midst of his trials, he had a grasp and understanding of the sovereignty of God. And we too need to have an understanding and we need to grasp the truth of the sovereignty of God. Job, in Job chapter 13, he says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope, I will praise, and I will trust in him. Can you truly say that? In reality, as non-Christians, you would say what? If you slay me, God, I leave you. Forget it. I'm done. It's too difficult. We can't just take the blessing from God and not the hardships, the trials, and the testing. Job, in chapter 23, he says, he stands alone. He's talking about God. God stands alone. And who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. That's who God is. Who are we to question? God is God and he is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Understand that we are nothing in comparison to the sovereignty of God. But in his sovereignty, he is good and he is patient. He doesn't want any of his children to perish. And that he loves you. Job 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Psalm 135, verse 6, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heaven and on the earth, in the seas and all the depths. And when you really give someone that type of freedom, right? Like if God were to give any one of us the freedom and the power to do whatever you want, to do whatever you please, then that is so dangerous, right? That is so dangerous. Imagine we give Ronnie... We give you the sovereignty to cook any meal that you want. Whatever you want, go do whatever you want. It'll be ramen, corn, ramen, corn, corn cheese, corn cheese, corn cheese, corn cheese, ramen. And then we would all die within a year. God can do whatever he wants, do whatever he pleases. 
because of who he is. Because he is good, he is a God of justice, he is a God of holiness, righteousness, and he is perfect in all his ways. Even if I am slayed, even when difficult things are happening in my life, God is sovereign. He is holy and he is perfect in all of his ways. That's the tip of the iceberg of us understanding the sovereignty of God. We need to trust in him and know that he is good. Number two, let's understand the moral will of God, the moral will of God. Always remember that God's moral will will never contradict his character, his justice, his holiness, his righteousness. This part, guys, you have control over. This is all to you. So the question that you should ask yourself is this. How should you, how should I live morally before God? You want to live morally before God? Do you want to fulfill the moral will of God? It's already been revealed to us. How? Where? It's in the scripture. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. I'm going to read NIV and NLT version. So NIV says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, meaning holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, meaning sexual sin. NLT says, God's will for you to be holy. It's for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. The moral will of God is that we are sanctified. Every day we are sanctified. We are regenerated. And that is key. The key thing here in verse 3 is that we are called to avoid sexual immorality. Destroy the habits that grip your life into sexual sin, sexual lust. Few things for us as single people in our 20s, for us to be able to overcome the sexual sin is number one, avoid lustful images and videos. Avoid these images that are so prone, so easy to capture our thoughts, especially the guys who are visual. Two, avoid double take with your eyes. When you see someone who is attractive and wearing things that are more revealing, don't do a double take. Just walk away. Walk by. Have clean eyes. Clean attitude. Avoid being alone too much. Which leads into, and we're all adults here, and avoid masturbation. Avoid these things, these habits. In the end, it is not fulfilling. You will leave more empty. That is not how it was fulfilled by God. That's what it means to avoid sexual immorality. Destroy the habits that grip your life into sexual sin. In a dating sense, don't use that body, the body of the person that you claim to love and care about the most, to use their body to fulfill the lust, the lustful desires that we have to fulfill the desire that you have and you use that person. Because in the end, you never know. You, you, you are not married yet. And if you break up, 
There's nothing that you can do to, to take it back. And it's a dangerous game that you're playing. The deeper you go, the deeper you will go, and that deep place you will be in that guilt and shame as Christians avoid sexual immorality. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? Nope. Does that mean as Christians we don't have temptation? Nope. It's because we have temptation. That is why we have to be extra, extra careful because this is the will of God. To be holy, to be honest, to have genuine repentance before God, to have righteousness and a humble heart before God. And if you're ever in a place where you're watching an image or video and you are not convicted in your heart to repent and that you know that this is wrong, that you are in such a dangerous place, watch yourself. Be careful. Avoid the sexual sin that grips so tight in your life. The devil is going to use that to destroy you. Another moral will that God gives us is, and the things that we have in control over, is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18, uh, Philippians 2, 12 to 16, Colossians 3, 23. They all kind of tie together. But within that, it means it's talking about rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks always. That's the key. These things you have control over. Sometimes circumstances you don't have control over. But a lot of times, those circumstances you have no control over. Things just happen to you. But these things you have control over. Rejoicing, praying, giving thanks to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'll say that again. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You are called to rejoice. You are called to pray. You are called to give thanks in every situation, through good and bad. Philippians 2, 12 to 16 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Whether we are cleaning poop, whether we're cleaning the toilet, whether we are doing something. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Hold firmly to the word of life so that you may be able to boast on the day of Christ that you did not run in vain, run or labor in vain. Continue to do everything. Hold firmly to the word of life. Colossians 3.22, we all know the scripture, right? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for people, men, human masters. We do it for the Lord. So all of things here in these three passages is about persevering, perseverance, always, continually, in all circumstances, continue to, in everything, as you hold firmly to the word, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working for the Lord. This has nothing to do with your riches. This has nothing to do with your circumstances. This has nothing to do whether you are rich, 
or whether we are poor. We are called to honor the moral will of our lives. And you must do this well. Better to be an honest, broke individual than to be a crooked, rich individual. Proverbs 28, 6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity, meaning blameless, than a rich man who is crooked in his ways, meaning perverse. Biblical. That's what it means to honor the moral will of our lives. And as we go to number three, you know, a lot of us, we go from, we skip number two, the moral will, and we go straight to number three, which I haven't shared yet. But just remember, number two, you cannot skip this part. This is the most important part. Well, when I say most, this is more important than number three. You have to get this right before God, before you start pursuing your career, before you start pursuing your major, before you start pursuing a relationship or anything else, you have to honor the moral will of God. Because at the end of the day, God is not going to judge you according to your titles or your degrees or your accomplishments or how many years you work for this company. God will judge us according to our conduct and who we are as men and women of God. So really ask yourself, are you rejoicing always? Are you praying continually? Are you giving thanks in all circumstances? Are you holding firmly to the word of life? Are you continuing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Are you taking the grace of God into cheap grace? You say, oh, once saved, always saved. It's fine. I can live whatever I want. I could do whatever I want in sin. I can still live in sin. I could still go to heaven. Are we that sure that in Matthew 25, that we are not, when God says, I'll separate the sheep to the right and the goat to the left, are you really that confident that you are in the sheep? Even for me, I'm afraid of God. I hope, I pray that I will be like the sheep. What if I am found on the left and God says, away from me, I never knew you. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fall in a crooked and depraved generation holding firmly to the word of life. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. How many times have we found ourselves in a place where, ah, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this for, God, for church or it's so tiring with this mission training and do we truly have this attitude that whatever we do in the mission field when we are in a place where it takes us out of our comfort zone, in places that we are not used to, or using the bathroom that you're not used to, are you really serving the Lord with all your heart and working for God, not for men? Is your attitude right before God? Is your attitude right before God. So remember number two, the moral will of God, which leads us to number three, the individual's decisions, the decision that we make. In a sense, we'll say the individual will versus God's will, the individual's everyday 
decisions. Now, let's talk about what this means. We're talking about what job, what major, who you marry. I believe there's only one time in the scripture where God tells someone to go ahead and marry, which is Hosea. And Hosea is uh, it's a prophetic book in a sense where God asked a prophet, Hosea, at that time to marry a prostitute named Gomer. And that prostitute Gomer, it represented Israel, the people of God, who were promiscuous, who were committing adultery, and who were not being faithful to their husband. But it was a symbol of God willing to marry such a crooked individual. So the story of the scripture, the whole Bible is that, that Jesus Christ, he is our husband. He is our groom. And we are the bride. And we've been unfaithful. But yet God came and he came to our rescue. And that's what the story of Hosea means. That even in our promiscuity, even in our unfaithfulness, God chooses to come and marry us and to come and, and come to our rescue. So when I, the reason why I'm saying this is because, and I say this very carefully, and I really say this carefully, you're free to marry who you want to marry. You are. But remember, you need number two as your foundation. When you have the foundation of God, when you have the wisdom of God, when you have the moral will in your life, and you're living as a man and a woman of God, you will make the right decisions, and you will choose that right individual. And I want to say this carefully, and this applies to your major. This applies to what job that you work. In a sense, a job is a job. A job is not everything, Ronnie. A job is something that we have temporarily on this earth that has nothing to do with the eternity with God. In heaven, there is no caste or factions, depending on what your job was on earth. Oh, doctors here, physicians here, nurses over here. And then Arlene tries to go in with a fake doctor. It's like, oh, sorry, nope. Depending what your job was on earth, plumbers here, you did this, oh, your job is down here, the lowest cast, just go down here. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mark 12, don't forget Mark 12. Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Out of her poverty, she put in everything, everything, all that she had to live on. Everyone else, Jesus said, gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. Therefore, what she has given is greater than the one who gave out of their wealth. Do not be twisted. Do not get lost in this worldly dream in pursuing this dream job. Do not let your mind get lost in the pursuit and the dream of this American dream of this life. The problem, like I said earlier, too many times we aim to hit the individual decisions without hitting the moral will of our foundation. It's like giving so much money to a child who has no sense of how to manage money and say, okay, go. And it will eventually, their life will be led to disaster. But you need to teach them the importance of money, 
the worth of money, how to use money. It's the same thing. So many of us as Christians, we aim to hit the individual decisions without hitting the moral will as our foundation. Let me ask you something. How do you expect to hit the individual decisions right if you don't have the moral will as your foundation? I'm going to say that again. How do you expect to hit the individual decisions in your life right if you don't have the moral will as your foundation? This applies to everything, guys. It applies to how we dress, the clothes that we wear, how we present our bodies, how we speak, how we act, how we are, how we treat the people. The, the pe- when we go to restaurants, people who are waiters who, in a sense, in the worldly sense, not saying that they're any lower than us, but in the worldly sense, we see people who are in a higher position. They, put, they look down on people with these jobs. How do you expect to be a faithful Christian and to make these right decisions if you don't have the moral will of God? Just like the quote in Tokyo Drift, Money I have, Hans, right, the character, he says, it's trust and character I need around me. It's trust and character I need around me. God has everything he needs. He is the ruler of the universe. What he desires from you is faithfulness, honesty, repentance, humility. You must aim to hit character first, the moral will first, title or no title. Some of us were so good at hiding behind the pulpit with titles. Many will seek, maybe many will not seek character, integrity because it is too difficult. It is difficult. I'll tell you one thing. Praying in secret versus praying and preaching in the pulpit, which one is easier, do you think, for me? Praying in secret or preaching in the pulpit? God sees what men don't see. It is much easier to preach than to pray in secret. If you love to preach in the pulpit more than you love to pray in secret, then I know where my intention is and where my heart is. Everything that I do is the overflow from the secret place that I'm in. God is more concerned in who you are, not what you have accomplished. I'll say it again. God is more concerned in who you are, not what you have accomplished, titles or degrees. And when you are changed by God in the core of who you are, naturally you will act, be, do, out of the overflow of who you are in Jesus Christ. Have this foundation right first. Have the right foundation first. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 is on the screen. It says, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Are you offering your bodies right now, holy and pleasing? Pleasing to God. Sacrifice, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Because that is true worship before God. That is proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And it's talking about the mind. Do not be like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What is God's will? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. To live in his will is to have the mind of Christ. 
is to have the character of Christ, to be like Christ, to live as Christ lived. When it's time to make a decision, you know, when I say decision like uh, job, you know, the person you want to marry, I'm talking about big main decisions in your life that are life-altering decisions. When it's time to make a life-altering decisions, how do you know if you are making the right decision? I'll give you three things, three sub-points within point number three. Number one, you pray for wisdom. Turn to your neighbor and say wisdom. Not God tell me what to do, but wisdom to make the right decision. If you have wisdom, you will make the right decisions. Pray for wisdom. James 1.5 tells us this, that if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Meaning you need to pray. Pray for wisdom. Number two, seek godly counsel. Don't ask someone who is a friend that's out in the world, someone who is, doesn't have the same like-minded as Christians, fellow believers, brothers and sisters. You are seeking prayer from them. You are seeking advice from godly leaders who are grounded on biblical principles, who will not just twist and manipulate you with their own thoughts or give you the answer that you want to hear. What if you hear, oh, I don't think that person is the right, and they give the reason, and they give the biblical principle, and they give you this. You have to seek godly counsel from the people that you trust, not just from anyone. Don't go ahead, ask Siri, Google, Alexa. Seek godly counsel. As iron sharpens iron, so one person, meaning a friend, sharpens another. Surround yourself with like-minded Christian believers. Number three, you have to know God's word. And I can't stress this enough. You have to study God's word. You have to be guided by God's word. You have to memorize God's word. Always know Christ is enough. To know Jesus Christ is to know the word of God. To know the word of God is to know Jesus Christ. The word of God is God's word. If you want to hear God's voice, read the word of God. Know God's word. Ask yourself this, yourself this. The very thing that you are seeking, deciding, and wanting. Ask yourself this final question. Is it God's will or is it your own individual will that is motivated by selfishness and blindness? If you feel in your heart, again, we don't trust our heart. We trust the one who is in our heart. You will pray for wisdom. You will seek godly counsel, and you will know God's word. You'll study, and you'll be motivated, be guided by the word of God. Amen? Amen. You know, as a church, we need to work on... Um, 
are amens. You know, I just, I feel like uh, even during morning prayer, I say like, we got to say amen, amen. I feel like you guys just think I just want to hear amen. No, it's not. It's because it's, it's biblical. You know, you, amen means unity. It means we are confirming, affirming the word, and we are taking it. We are taking on that faith. So during the prayer, when we say, uh, you say yes or amen or not like yes in a way where you distract the prayer, the person who's praying to gain attention for yourself. It's like yes, and Ron is praying yes, yes. <laughs> and he's like yes, right to his ears. You're getting the attention, but you do it quietly in a sense where, and also you're letting the enemy know that's amen. Amen, God is good. You're taking that faith. So even preaching is, is a time of prayer. You know, it's, this time right here is a holy moment before God because we're offering to God as our worship to him. So amen. 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 Good. Rania's like, amen. It's like pounding. He's like, amen. I don't want to, but amen. Hey, Harry. So again, at the end, ask yourself this question. The very thing that you are seeking, deciding, wanting, is it God's will or your will? It's kind of like the retreat in the summer that we went over, like tattoo. What is the reason for you wanting to get that? You know, there are a lot of things, a lot of hidden motives and things that we have. And the word of God reveals everything, who we are. It brings, it's a light, it's, it's a flashlight that helps us see. Don't expect to find the key in the dark. You're going to turn the light on. You need the word of God to know the path that you are walking in. The word of God is your light. It's your everything. It's your food. It's your drink. It's your everything. Know the word of God. Amen? Okay, number four. God's will for your life is friendship. God's will for your life is friendship. I pray that at the end of this message, that all the worries that you had over the years with the job or the career and all these different things that we concern ourselves as the world does, I pray that at the end of this message that you will find peace and know that God's will is very simple. You know, God doesn't look at what the world looks at. He doesn't look at the job or the title that the world looks at, God looks at your heart and your relationship. And in this sense, number four, your friendship. Your friendship in him. So number four, God's will for your life is friendship. Just like the hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. This is not a magic cue ball or a magical formula. It's a journey, a call for you to walk with him and for him to walk with you. Jesus says in John 15, 15, I no longer call your servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Meaning he has opened himself to give you access to the relationship, to the freedom that we have in Jesus. But at the same time, don't be like, oh, Jesus is my homeboy, my friend, and there's no reverence whatsoever. The Bible says that we are servants and slaves of God, but at the same time, we are his friends. We find the balance of who we are, our identity, that he has made himself known to us, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Have made known to you. Do you truly know him or do you know of him? God desires a relationship with you. God desires your utmost faithfulness to him. How? So points again. Real quick, number one, by listening and speaking in prayer with Christ every day. Every day. By speaking to Christ and listening to Christ. Number two, by studying his word every day. When I say study, by abiding in Christ. Number three, by obeying his word every day. Action. It's about action. Friendships are about action. You don't just give them a thought on their birthday, but you actually take the time physically. You get something, you do something, you go eat, you ride a car, it's action. In this sense, we obey his word every day. We live for him every day. Emphasizing the word constantly, every day. Not sometimes, not when I feel, not when I want to, etc. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as I mentioned earlier. God doesn't give you a GPS, but he gives you someone. He gives you someone. It's kind of like in the Philippines, um, I'd rather have Brother Randy, if I'm driving, next to me than to have a physical GPS because he knows all the roads to get to where we need to. He even told me that you cannot use GPS here in the Philippines because they're constantly changing the roads and you cannot. You'll be stuck in traffic. But I know the way, right? He's he, like, talking, he's going through water and like at one point we're underground, we're in the, we're in the tunnel and he's, the car literally flipped upside down and was going upside down. It was, Antonio was serious, it was flowing. It's upside down, it was, no, I'm kidding. So he's like, <gasps> And it was flying too. We flew over Manila and, and Dipolo over the mountains. Meaning, he gives us someone. It's better. Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Here's a reality check. It's not about having GPS for your future. It's not about going to a uh, fortune teller, asking for them to read the palm and to tell you your future, to give you the answer, what you want to hear. It's not God, just tell me what to do and I will do it. But it's about discovering God in the process of your life and just knowing in the word, in, in your faith, discovering and keeping God in the center, in the midst of everything that he is with you every step of the way. I share my testimony of how, God, of how I became a minister, how I got into ministry. I went through this long thing of you know, things that I wanted to do and I wasn't sure. It was at the military, we went through the recruiting and it was at the Marines or is it this, is it that? And now I came close to doing a lot of different things and went to school for photojournalism and finished that and I did that for a little bit and then I was in Korea and then I was in China and in the mission trip and, and then it was at the border of Yenji in Tumen River and I wrote it down in my journal. And I got the conviction and the call from God at that time. As I was watching these North Koreans, the farmers, they're literally, you could shout and they could hear my voice and they were working in the fields. And I, was, and, I, and I felt the call of God 
And I remember writing, God, if I'm going to live one life, this is it. And then before I left on the airplane, I called my father. And I told him, this is what I'm going to be doing. And then he started crying. I'm like, why are you crying? And then I got a little teary. Because Korean fathers do not, what? Yeah, they don't laugh, they don't cry, they don't eat, they don't do anything. They're robots. <laughs> They're monsters. But I was like, what are you crying for? And then, cause, and then he said, I got the confirmation when I was young, when I was a baby, that I, he always knew that I was gonna, this is the path I was going to be going. And I said, okay, why did you share this earlier? Could it help me, like, make, you know, not do this, like, this whole spin around thing? But he did it because later he told me, and he did it because he wanted me to discover for myself. Because a lot of times parents, they put in their intentions and their, what they want. But he literally trusted me in the hands of God, and I had to figure it out on my own. How was I able to figure it out on my own? Through these principles, these things that we've learned today. You have to get these things right first before you go ahead and make these life-altering decisions. You have to. I discovered this call on my own. Well, of course, with God in the center, always in the midst, even in my shortcomings, even in my sin, even in my mistakes. Well, in my repentance, of course, and through my personal relationship, with Jesus Christ, ups and downs, and it's about the friendship that we have in Jesus, trusting and relying. And the question, and the question that I want to ask, does your heart and life honor the friendship that you have in Jesus Christ? Does your life right now honor the friendship that you have in Jesus Christ? Christianity is not about going to church or giving offerings or singing a song or having a fellowship to have a good time, which are good things. And they are all good things. But that's not the main thing. You got to keep the main thing the main thing. Your loyalty, faithfulness, your friendship in Jesus Christ. These are what Christians do. But being a Christian are those who have a friendship with God, with Him, with Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. We have access to the Father in heaven. I have called you friends. Amen. That's what Jesus says. I have called you friends. And who are we truly as Christians right now? Are you followers of Christ? Or are you a follower of self, the world? Have you skipped step two and you went right into step three? You are making decisions all on your own. You're, doing, you're living the life. Whatever you want, whatever I want to do. God, I want to pursue my dreams and that's it. And we skip point two. You have to get point two right. You have to. Well, of course, point one. It starts with point one. That God is this big, amazing God, and we are this little thing. But at the same time, who am I that you are mindful of me? Right? Just like the song that we sang. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you hear me when I call. Is it true that you are thinking of me, how you love me? It's amazing. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. God Almighty, Lord of glory, you have called me friend. Who are we truly? Who are we really?
Christians are those who have friendship in Jesus Christ. Lord, you've called us friends. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And that is enough. That is enough. Nothing more, nothing less. Lord, though you slay me, though you take away my job, though you take away everything, all my security blankets, everything that I hold on to, Lord, I have my friendship in Jesus Christ. What a friend I have in Jesus Christ. And with the last point, number five, God's will for your life is to turn back to him. Turn to your neighbor and say, turn back to God. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. That is God's will for you. God's will for you is to turn back to him. This applies to every single person in your life, your friends, your peers, the people that are in your school, your classmates. God's will for your life is to have a relationship with them. It's it's for them to turn back to him. No matter how far, no matter how lost we are in our sins, God's will is that we turn back to the Father. It's never too late. In the movie Vanilla Sky, there's a quote that says that each passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. It is never too late. We think that as Christians that we must be perfect to know and to be in God's will. A lot of times we feel that we must settle for plan B. I screwed up too much or even plan, settle for plan C. I messed up on plan A, plan B, plan C. I messed up and missed it. Now there's no chance for me, no hope for me. That is not true in God. God can take all the wasted years, all your wasted years, all your days of rebellion and turn it all around for his glory. He will turn it all around for his glory. Remember the thief. Remember the thief who was crucified with Jesus Christ. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, Today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. God can take all your wasted years, and even in your last single moment of your life, taking the last breath of your life, when you turn to God, God can take all the wasted years and turn it all around for His glory. But don't take that for granted. Don't say, oh, I have the last minute, last chance to do that. That's already the wrong heart, wrong attitude. Right now, when you have the chance, when you have the breath, when you have the gift of today, the present, present is the best present that we can have today turn back to him while you're still able sadly many will not turn back to God that's the truth and I'm sorry to say many will not turn back to God 
they will stay lost forever in this world. Unfortunately, they will be blinded by the temptations and the attack of the enemy, and they will not even know it themselves. There are those who go to church, they claim to be a friend of God, they claim to be in a relationship with Christ, but yet we see the double standard, and God sees them. stay lost in the world and the lives of the enemy church we've talked about apostasy we talked about the danger of apostasy we talked about the danger of blaspheming against the holy spirit we talked about the point of no return when people have no conviction no sense of repentance to turn back to god like the city of sodom and gomorrah we know the end the result was death and destruction So if you are here today and you are listening to this message, and you are here today and you are listening to this message, please take this message. I beg you with all my heart, please take this message to heart. I beg of you, today is a day of salvation. Turn back to Him, for that is God's will for your life. That is God's will for your life. Remember the story of the prodigal son. The story of the lost son, where he took everything and he divided the property between them. He took everything that belonged to him. And we understand not long after that, he was lost in a distant country, squandering his wealth, living in wild living. And after spending all that he had, he was so hungry, there's severe famine in the land. And he went in higher self as a citizen of that country. to feel, to feed pigs, to to eat the the food that the pigs are eating. And when he came to his senses, and many of us, this is the part where we miss. He came to his senses and said, how many of my father's higher servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your highest servants. And the scripture tells us that he got up. He took action with his conviction. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. The father did not wait for him. He says the father ran to his son, ran to him. Filled with compassion, ran to his son. I am no longer worthy to be your child, your son, father. But what does the father say? The father said to him, but the father said to servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fan cap and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was lost. He was dead. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He says the heavens celebrate. The heavens rejoice when that one sinner turns back to God. God desires humility and repentance. That is God's will for your life, not perfection. Turn away from the perfect holier-than-thou mentality, the perfect formula, for you will not be perfect. You and I will not be perfect. You and I are broken individuals. We live in a broken world. That is why the need for our Savior. There is no such thing 
as perfection. Only Jesus Christ is perfect. That is why He is the blameless and the perfect sacrifice. Once and for all, died on the cross for our sins, for the sins of humankind. Look to Jesus Christ in your weakness. Don't ever think that your sins are too great for God Himself. There's nothing that is greater than the work of the cross. The cross is everything. It's everything. It's the reason why you breathe. It's the reason why you live. It's the reason why I have the breath and the reason and my purpose for living in this one life that God has given me. This life isn't a life where I live for myself, where I want to commit to my own individual will. But God, what is it? Your will. Your will for my life. I live for you and for your kingdom, oh God. Holy Spirit, we come before you right now as a church, as a church. To be a church that is is in the will of God. To know your will, to know God's will. Father, remind us, remind us every single day of who you are, God. Your sovereignty your perfection, your holiness, your righteousness. Oh, Lord, help us to remember today. Help us have the moral will right before you, oh God, to avoid sexual sins, sexual immorality that brings death, sin that brings death, habits that bring death. Father, I pray. Holy Spirit, watch over us. Help us to have a clean mind that is right and righteous and holy before you. Oh, Lord, help us to have this right before you, oh God. Let us not get lost in the dreams and the individual decisions. Let us live a life that is holy and set apart for you, oh God. Let us persevere always, continually, every circumstances, continuing to everything, holding firmly to the word, whatever we do, working it with all our heart, working for the Lord. That is your call for our life. Within that foundation, oh God, within the friendship and the relationship with God that is found in Jesus Christ, within that foundation, within the foundation of our rock, our Lord Jesus Christ, we will make the right decisions. We will make the right individual decisions. Father, help us to do and to do the right thing, to be and to do the right thing, oh God, to be your sons and your daughters that will honor you in our private life as much as we do in our public life, in our social media life. Whatever we do, help us to do it for you, to give you all the glory, to bring you all the glory. Father, we need you right now. Not too long, we're not gonna pray too long, but in your heart right now, if you have been pursuing your own individual dream, Let's put things in perspective. Let's ask God for forgiveness. Let's repent of our rebellion of our sins and turn back to God. Let's ask God, God, transform me from the inside out. Help me to pursue character and integrity more than anything else, oh God, to have the moral will of God as my foundation, to understand your sovereignty, oh God. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. I will worship you. God, you are good through the good and through the bad. Can we just pray together to our Father in heaven?
opportunity because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish do not live a foolish life know God's will for your life know his will but understand understand what the Lord's will is father thank you for teaching us of your word and your promises that is found in Jesus Christ Thank you for the access to the holy place through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for just the opportunity to worship you and to be challenged by your word today and to remind it of your truth. Help us not to be quick to forget of who you are and help us not to forget of whose we are, that we are your children, that I am your son, that God, we are your daughters, O oh Lord. We are your sons and daughters of the living King. The King who humbled himself. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the humility of God being born as a helpless infant to live this life on earth. Lived a sinless life. Had a choice to destroy all sinners or to come to this world and to live among us and to die as the Messiah, as the King, so that we can have life. Thank you, Lord, for the life that you, that you have lived and for who you are today. Thank you, Lord. You are amazing. There is none that can compare it to you, O oh God. What a friend I have in Jesus. 
what a friend I have in Jesus Christ. You no longer call us servants, for a servant does not know the master's business. But you have called us friends, for everything that has been revealed to you has been revealed to us through the revelation of the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for giving us humility and the conviction to hear your word and to be in a place of conviction, not of apathy. Help us to always keep ourselves in check so that we may always be hungry and thirsty and sensitive to your presence, O oh God. We love you. We thank you. As a church, we pray all these things in your precious Son. Just cross them, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. amen.